I'm Alex Melia, and this is Our Voices on Living with Disability, the podcast that provides a platform for real people to share their untold stories. In this series, we hear stories of friendship, freedom, and changing perceptions. If these episodes resonate with you, spread the love and share them with a friend. Let's get into today's episode. When Rick Castle's oldest daughter was two years old, she ran away. We were down in the New Forest. They were on holiday together and had gone out for a walk. Rick parked the car. Suddenly the little girl opened the door and sprinted off towards the main road. It was rough ground. There's no way I would be able to catch her. And I shouted at her to stop and she didn't appear to listen. And it was the sort of first real time when I was hit by this feeling of panic. Rick did the only thing he could think of. I'd got like a, a, a soft shoe on and I ripped that off and threw it at her and it hit her on the back of the head and made her stop. Which sounds an horrific thing to do, but, you know, there was a road nearby and I had to react quickly. So that made her stop and look round and she startled look and I said, can you bring me my shoe back, please? Rick's toddler fetched him his shoe. She was out of harm's way. I learnt that uh, if you're in a wheelchair, you just have to adapt and think of things quickly as to, you know, how you're going to manage. Rick has been a wheelchair user for most of his life. He has three daughters with his wife. And when the girls were growing up, Rick was the stay-at-home parent while his wife worked which was interesting at times, to put it mildly, but the biggest challenge was changing their nappies. That particular task required a little creativity. I got a drawer and I put it on an old TV stand so that I could sit in an armchair where I'd got a side on either side of me so I was balanced and secure. And this trolley with this drawer on the top of it, because it had little tiny sides being a drawer, you could fit the changing mat into it and you could put them on it and then underneath the trolley was a box you could put out which had absolutely everything that you would need to change them. Of course, the babies wriggled around a bit. And I discovered I could just pick up one of my legs and put my leg on top of them and they just seemed to just lie there with the weight of my leg on them whilst you got yourself ready and changed them. And then when my wife changed them, they were totally different. They seemed to have this ability to realise that I had limitations. So when she changed them, they kicked and struggled, whereas when I did it, they just were far more passive and far easier to manage, as it were. Rick found other ingenious solutions to the obstacle course that is caring for three kids alone. If you're sitting in a wheelchair and you've got to propel the wheelchair and you're trying to pick up a child, the easiest thing is to plonk the child on your lap and they hold their clothing in your teeth. So it's a bit like a dog or a cat. So you spent a lot of your time holding them with your teeth and uh, they just don't bat an eyelid at it. And they just seem to sit far more relaxed in your lap. Taking two children to school while looking after a baby was another hurdle. Trying to push a pram with one hand whilst you're wheeling a chair is a bit of a dark art. It's very difficult and quite tiring. And uh, I dreamt up a system of getting a, one of those backpacks that you put a kid in, and I fastened it onto the front of the chair and just dropped them into that so that I could still wheel the chair 
and you know be responsible for taking the other kids to school. The girls travelled a lot with their dad because Rick spent many years wheelchair racing, training and competing around the world. Wheelchair racing is you know going fast in your wheelchair so it's the equivalent of running. So initially um, it was when the London Marathon started in this country I just looked at it and I just thought oh that looks like fun and I had a friend who was interested in doing it and we applied and was told by Chris Brasher not in a month of Sundays it's a running race and he was adamant that we weren't going to do it. The comment from the co-founder of the London Marathon it was like a red rag to Rick. That just rubbed me up the wrong way so that's what got me started doing it. I'm a bit bolshy at times you know don't tell me I can't do anything. You only have one life and you do have to live it don't you? Rick was two and a half years old when his father decided to take him swimming one afternoon. I think he was trying to kill some time because uh, my sister had just been born and, you know, he'd been left at home with me whilst she was in the hospital and I think it was a distraction. This innocent swimming trip turned out to be a sliding doors moment in Rick's life. At the pool that day, something happened that would change his life forever. It was a very big outbreak in the southeast of the country and I know that the hospital in, in South End was swamped with them. Rick was rushed to hospital. He had contracted polio. I wasn't expected to survive. So I know my mother told me she was very, very cross with the hospital chaplain who came round and wanted me to be christened that night because they didn't expect me to be there in the morning, you know, alive. And that annoyed her. Rick's mum pulled some strings and got him moved to a better hospital in North London. It was fairly horrendous. They didn't have enough ventilators there. So people were actually having to share iron lungs. I tell people now that I've already survived a pandemic because that's basically what it was polio back then. These days, polio has been wiped out in many countries. But when Rick got sick in the 1970s, the consequences were dire. Rick became quadriplegic, with the virus affecting all four of his limbs. Rick was in hospital for five years. Sometimes, you know, doctors, you make medical advances through experimenting a bit. And I was the age where a lot of this stuff was going on. They were learning, you know, things move on and you do just have to accept that. He had to endure all sorts of unimaginable procedures. He was suspended from pins in his ankles and had a spinal fusion using a steel rod. Back then, I think there was just this idea that anybody who was going to recover needed to be able to get back on their feet and walk. And, you know, that took years for them to realise that actually walking isn't all it's cracked up to be, you know. If you have to stagger with full-length calipers and a brace coming up to your chin in metal and leather on two full-length crutches so that you can't carry anything or do anything, and I used to be able to stagger maybe 100 yards and be totally exhausted and lose all feeling in my hands because of the pressure under my armpits, whereas put me in a wheelchair... 
and I could whiz over a hundred yards and do stuff, you know, you can become functional. In reality, Rick didn't get a wheelchair until he was seven years old. Somewhere along the line in the hospital system, no one ever told my parents, oh, you could get a wheelchair for him. So uh, I used to be pushed around in like a buggy uh, until, I went, well, until I went to boarding school, really. I never really thought too much about it because it was just normal. So uh, I learned how to crawl and get around on the floor. I have no bad memories about it. It was just, you know, that was life. Whatever Rick wanted to do, his dad was there to encourage him. I had a little pedal go-kart. This was before I had the wheelchair. And he managed to put some handles onto the foot mechanisms so that you could pedal it using your arms. Some people would say he was a bit harsh in that uh, he didn't uh, agree in making life too easy for you because I think he realised that actually life was always going to be a bit of a struggle. Born in school was great for Rick. He was friends with other children who had disabilities. Having limitations was, very crucially for Rick, normalised. The school motto was no such word as can't, and that's what was drummed into me right from the beginning. While in his early years there, Rick left the school grounds with a friend who had muscular dystrophy. Who was quite severely disabled in a power chair, and the battery had run flat because we were miles away from the school, but I just towed him back. And the easiest method to tow a heavy power chair was down the white line of this country lane. So when we got back to the school, we were met by the police because they had this report of someone who was just going down the middle of the road and cars having to go off to the side. But Rick's dad was proud. He could see Rick's resourceful and kind nature in what he'd done. He obviously thought, well, you did the right thing there, you know, because it's the sort of attitude that he would have done. Rick's father served in World War II. He was in bomber command. What he had to perform in Lancaster bombers weighed very heavily on him because he knew he was dropping bombs on totally innocent people. He hated Remembrance Day. I can always remember him saying to me, there's nothing glorious about being dead. It wasn't until much, much later, when he was probably retirement age, that he really even started to speak about his experiences during the war. When I was growing up, there was just the odd mention that he was a, a very strong individual. And I think he just you know, compartmentalised it. Though he rarely talked about the polio, Rick also believed his father carried a tremendous amount of guilt about what happened to Rick. When Rick was older, there was one day that he got into an argument with his dad. And I just flippantly said to him, you know, well, you were the one that took me to the swimming pool and gave me polio. I'd snapped and just said something spiteful. Rick's father looked crushed. He immediately got up and walked out of the house. And I just thought, shit, you know, I shouldn't have said that. And I went and stuck my head out of the door and looked at him and he was crying. And I just, you know, I was mortified. I realised that I had totally and utterly overstepped things. Rick felt terrible. The look on his face, uh, he was choked, to be honest. And I just had to say, you know, I'm really sorry, Dad. You know, I didn't mean that I'm sorry. And he just held his hand up and he just wanted to walk off down the garden. 
because we had got a big step at the back of the house where I couldn't follow. And I realised he just needed to go away and calm down and compose himself. When Rick's father came back up the garden path, the two men cleared the air. Deep down, they both knew that Rick had never blamed his dad for what had happened at the swimming pool that day. I think it was grief. I think it had just come back to haunt him that you know, maybe that's what I felt. Sometimes in your life there's little things that you think about and you just think, if I'd have done something different then, would life have been a bit different? So I, I don't know. I don't know how much he'd dwelt on that. And I'd, I'd like to think that uh, there's enough positives in my life. Rick's dad had plenty to be proud of. He was delighted when Rick took up sailing. And when he applied for a flying scholarship, Rick's dad wrote him a moving letter of support. I think he's always admired the amount of travelling that I've done and the way that my wife and I have taken the kids with us as well because he has first-hand insight into just how complicated that can be at times with finding accommodation, all of the equipment you have to take with you. And he's always just encouraged me. Bolshy, defiant, resourceful, whatever you want to call it, it's clear that the influence of Rick's father lives on. Everything is achievable. It's all to do with what's going on up here in your head, not what your body is capable of. And even in this house that I'm in now, we live in a house which I've only recently, only two years ago, had a lift put in because I just go up the stairs on my arse. That's how I've always done it. This no such word as can't has been what I've always just you know stood by. Now I'm older, I look at it and I just think, now I could do that, but actually I'm too old to bother now. So it's a sign I've tired, you know, even today, Things about disability are not right, but I've, I've reached the point where I've run out of energy to carry on fighting it, but that's my choice. So if I wanted to fight it, I would, and if somebody is struggling, I will immediately jump in and try and fight it for them. Rick spent many years campaigning for better quality wheelchairs. Wheelchairs are dead simple. Why do we have this strange system where, dependent upon where you live, some people get good bits of equipment and others get a pile of crap at times? You know, that's totally wrong. Having a disability is just an impairment. It's not the end of your life or anything. It's just something that needs to be addressed. And far more of what makes you disabled is the social environment around you rather than what you can't do. You have to keep on being questioned and having to do assessments about what you can't do. And at times they just ignore the fact of what you can do. And I think uh, COVID should have opened people's eyes because so many people have been working you know, remotely from home, which is something that a lot of disabled people could have been doing for years, but have never really been given that opportunity. Whereas now the gloves are off, you've got no excuse. Rick's stoicism and can-do attitude are a marvel to behold. One thing which clearly emerges from Rick's story and many other stories from this series is the focus on ability, not disability. Rick regales us with how he's able to do so many things that people in wheelchairs would be assumed to be incapable of. Not only does he look after himself, he's also taking care of his children and friends when required. 
Rick's self-confidence and self-belief has seen him break down barriers. Competing in the London Marathon in a wheelchair is no longer a unique event, but this is down to the attitude of people such as Rick. He will not take no for an answer and he refuses to be limited by his condition. If you want to keep in touch with the show and be the first to find out what's coming up next, go to our website, www.ourvoicespodcast.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. The links are in the show notes. And if you haven't already, give us a quick follow in your favorite podcast app. See you for another incredible story next week.